I'm headed to Milan, and it's a perfect day for a road trip. It's sunny and warm, and everything is starting to turn green. As I get older, the winters get harder to take. Everything is just so drab. But if it weren't for the winter that I've come to despise, I probably wouldn't appreciate the spring and summer. In doing research on this case, I'm amazed at the amount of criminal activity that seems to permeate West Tennessee. And it's not just here. This is everywhere. I begin to realize that maybe I was somewhat sheltered growing up, and I start to appreciate even more my childhood years. Not everyone had it so good. My destination is a house somewhere between Milan and Jackson, Tennessee, the town I grew up in. As I travel the winding back roads of West Tennessee, I can't help but think about all the secrets held in this area for over 20 years. And just by looking at it, with rolling pastures and well-kept homes, you'd never know that there are some really bad people in this world, and some of them are our neighbors. A couple of days after episode one came out, I received a message from a woman named Dawn who wanted to meet with me. She said she knew Casey and the family and was very involved in the search efforts when Casey went missing. She also wanted Kathy, a longtime friend of the family, to join us to help fill in any blanks. Don told me to carve out two days for interviews because there was just so much information. We didn't need two days, but we did talk for over six hours. Don? I'm Brandon Barnett, and this is Searching for Ghosts. I went to Def Leppard Saturday night in Nashville, and then I don't know where Don was, but we both was at Cindy's house Monday morning. I went to take Jesse to school. In fact, I saw Cindy. My son, Jesse. I saw Cindy on the sidewalk as we were, me and another girlfriend were going to Nashville, and she was doing like this right here, like a panic look, just back and forth on the sidewalk. But you have to realize at the time, Cindy didn't have a phone. Yeah, she did not have a phone. At the house. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a light on the front porch. Didn't have a light bulb on the front porch. The, when I knew Casey was missing, I was taking my, it was the, following Monday, um, and I was taking my youngest son, Jesse, to school, right there at the elementary school, and Cindy was walking with her son, Jesse, who's younger than mine. Casey was at an age when a lot of kids start to rebel. It happens. For many, it's a rite of passage. Everything that has been made public about Casey from friends and family over the years might lead one to believe that she was immune to any teenage rebellion. As far as I'm concerned, there are three possible explanations for this. Number one, people might be concerned about soiling her reputation, which might affect people's opinion of her and their interest in the case. Don't think for one moment that the image of the innocent beauty queen that was John Benet Ramsey didn't fuel the public's fascination with that case. Number two, Casey showed a certain side of herself around some and then totally a different side to others. That's what teenagers are best at. Number three, 
She wasn't going through a rebellious stage. It has happened. My parents were my best friends throughout my teenage years. I never really went through that phase. I was either fishing, playing basketball, or holed up in my room with a guitar in my hands. I was pretty much a straight arrow. But the summer Casey disappeared, both Dawn and Kathy noticed a drastic change in her appearance. Uh, that's when I saw the change in Casey's appearance during the summer before high school. And I saw it too. I belonged to Church of Christ and Casey was raised Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. And she come into church gothic like she had devil rode across her forehead. And all I could do was, because I'd never even seen her in eyeshadow, you know. Right. And I'm like, well, Case, I like your outfit. You know, I, I didn't know what to say. Yeah, yeah. You know, it freaked me out so bad. Yeah. She went from really innocent looking to the last time I saw her, she was. That's the last time I saw her, too, was at church in the gothic outfit. That really freaked me out. Because I got her on here on her birthday. You can kind of see how she was. She was younger. Right. But still, she was still that little girl, right. you know. Something went on. And while in 2017 the goth look seems pretty tame, in 1996 in rural West Tennessee, this was a pretty big deal. If nothing else, it was a definite departure from the Casey of just a few months before. It's been about two months since I stopped by the Milan Police Department to ask for any reports about Casey that are open to the public. I was told that the initial report should be available for me to read. I've had friends and family of Casey ask for those reports as well. But it appears that we're being stonewalled. And the daily paper out of Jackson, Tennessee, the Jackson Sun, is going through their archives to find articles about the case. But this will take some time. So the Milan Mirror Exchange has been my main source at this point to try to piece this thing together. It is a weekly paper, so I have to do a little estimating on the exact timing of certain findings. While looking through these reports, it appears that by September 2nd, 1996, police had a sketch of a possible suspect. After a little digging around, I discovered that the sketch came from a witness who alleges that Casey was seen with this man at the Gibson County Fairgrounds in Trenton, Tennessee, a town about 14 miles away from Milan. The sketch is still floating around the internet, but like so many things about this case, it was never mentioned again. So I started asking around, and the word is that the source was deemed not credible. Not one person that I've talked to said that they believe that she was ever at the fair at Trenton. And given that all the descriptions of Casey by law enforcement had her in her bedclothes with no shoes, I felt that it wouldn't make sense for her to be walking around at the fair a couple of days later. So I made note of this, but pretty much dismissed the sketch myself. Then I found an article just one month later in the October 1st edition of the Mirror Exchange, about a world-famous search and rescue dog named Valerie, who came to Milan to search for Casey. The headline read something like, Casey left on her own free will, smart dog says. Her own free will? Again, why would Casey leave on her own free will in boxers, a t-shirt, and no shoes? The no shoes story is one of the few things in this case that keeps being repeated year after year. 
I needed to know more about this smart dog and her findings, and it just so happened that I was sitting at the kitchen table with one of the people responsible for bringing Valerie to town. Dawn and her husband had even videotaped the search. I'm going to tell you about the search and rescue dog because I could not find that tape. Okay. I saw this guy on TV two or three times after that at like Oklahoma bombing, uh, one in the Philippines. I mean, when we brought him in, this dog, he, he rode on the plane. He had a badge right. vest. He was, we had to put him in a hotel without any cigarette smoke, that kind of stuff. Yeah. By we started with Casey's at her house. Um, he used uh, the handler. He used Case uh, no Cindy's hairbrush and Casey's clothes that were on the bed for a scent. Uh, the dog hit on their car in the trunk. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, on Cindy's Cindy car. Steve's yeah. car, yeah. But he did tell Charles it was a different type of hit because they they show emotions and stuff. Uh, not a death hit. Right. And then Steve had said that he had a deer that he killed, and which was probably true. Yeah. Knowing Steve, he he's that's what he did. He liked to hunt right. and provide that way. Um, <coughs> after then, from their house, uh, the dog. Well, the dog. Right when we were there, it went to the creek behind the house, but lost a scent right there at the Hamptons. Right. I don't know. That's about three houses down. I just know what you told me because I wasn't there. Okay. Behind the house that had a, uh, there was a little road that led to power lines and that's where the dog lost the scent, right there. Um, Then we took the dog to town, to Milan, and um, he got a small hit, he thought, on a payphone at the little Texaco station there. I didn't know that. Mm Mm-mm. I just, I just knew about the dog at the house. Then we went on to the fairgrounds in Trenton. So had the composite come out? And this was at the fairgrounds, supposedly, where he, where the the sighting of the where he did the composite. Yeah. Is that what led you to bring them to take, take the, the dog, dog over to the there? fairgrounds? Uh-huh. Okay. And this was after she was missing. Yeah. But. At the fairgrounds, the dog did get a strong hit. And Guy said she had to have been there, the way the dog acted. And the fair started after she had disappeared, so that's strange. We were really shocked at the fairgrounds because we did not feel like that that was going to be a place it was going to hit, but it hit. It was odd that he said he saw Casey at the fairgrounds, gave a composite, and the dog hit the, yeah. hit the fairgrounds. Oh. After that, pretty much, um, the handler guy, he went other places alone, um, but am unaware of any any hits. I know they were going out to the um, the dump to where the incinerary was, incineration that was. was that, that, that was the psychic lady that I got on tape that said that about the dump. Well, I don't think they ever felt like the dog hit anything out there. I never heard any more about it. I didn't know the dog went out there. Yeah. So I desperately wanted to read the official report of Valerie's findings. 
That would definitely be something that would have been given to law enforcement at the time, seeing how there was at least one report in the media about it. But I wasn't going to get it from the Milan Police Department. I finally received word from Milan PD that they were not going to release any reports whatsoever pertaining to the Casey McDaniel case. Damn. So I decided to look up Valerie's handler at the time, Harry Oaks. Valerie has passed on, but Oaks is still doing search and rescue with his organization International Canine Search and Rescue Services. In 1996, Oaks and Valerie were brought to Milan by Don and others with private funds. So I hoped that Oaks would be able to help me, seeing as how this mission was not sanctioned by local law enforcement. Yeah, well, unfortunately, about five or six years after that case, of course, we've been doing a lot of cases since then, somehow we got some kind of a major virus, and that's before we even thought about backing up files, and everything got destroyed, everything. Right. And luckily, we had one USB jar, not a USB, a DVD or CD or something like that at that time that had backed up the caseloads, and some of the major, major homicide cases that we worked, but other than that, everything else was destroyed. Right. And so we had to start, you know. So the police, I know that with each search, I do a report and I send one to the Mission Children's Office in Portland and, and one to the, I know that there, there was a, a gentleman out of Murfreesboro who has since died that was running the Mission Children Foundation there. And he got a copy, and I know that the police department got a copy, but other than that, that's the only thing I know of uh, the documentation. Was that, uh, was his name Billy, the guy from the... Yeah, Bill, Billy, Billy Hale. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, Billy was really good people. According to a 1998 article in the Tennessean, Billy Hale was with the National Missing Children's Locate Center. At this time, I'm having trouble finding any footprint online of Billy and his organization. I only pray that the organization didn't die with Mr. Hale. If you have any information on this, please contact me on our website, sfgpodcast.com. When Dawn first reached out to me, she told me a story that I'd never heard before, and to be honest, it blew my hair back. And this story, in my mind, might piece together the things we've discussed in this episode. There are rumors that Casey made a phone call from the church rec center payphone the night she went missing. Who would she have called? Her mother didn't have a working phone at the house. The grandmother reportedly never received a phone call, and her best friend was at the church social with Casey. Did Casey call someone to arrange for them to pick her up after the church party? Was Casey going through the teenage rebellion stage that so many have denied? Did the police investigate this alleged phone call? Is there any way to get the phone records today from a payphone in 1996? It was a payphone at that church, and I know she used it. It was a church phone, wasn't it? No, it was a payphone. And Cindy and Casey. It was a payphone at the church. In that little multiple. They wasn't in the church, I was in that little multiple building or whatever it is. Okay. Multipurpose building. I gotcha. But there was supposed to be a payphone in there. Yeah. And I don't know why no one ever Whoever she called at that church, if she'd left 
is who she left with. And she didn't wear her brand new tennis shoes that she was so proud of. Right. And she wouldn't have went nowhere because she was tenderfooted. She couldn't have left without her new tennis shoes. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way. Well, where were the black clothes that we seen her in? Because they weren't at the house. You've been listening to the Left of Nashville Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.